Hello and welcome to Market Sense Eye on the Prairies podcast. My name is Brian Como. I'm here today again with uh, David Ryman and Ed Bershinsky. Uh, and today, um, you know, lots of lots of stuff happening in the markets today, and some stuff going on next week that we'll we'll talk about today. But I think uh, maybe we'll start off our conversation today with uh, the biofuel mandate uh, discussion that happened today. Uh, maybe we'll move into some other things that happened in the market this week as a week in review, and then maybe we'll end off. Uh, talking about what we're expecting from Stats Canada uh, next week and and maybe even some expectations on the USDA next week, which is the day after uh, as well. So how are you guys doing today? I'm good. Thanks so far, so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think the, uh, you know, the, the topic du jour would probably be the biofuels mandate. It created some volatility today. So, uh, you know, maybe I just thought I'd maybe get the two of you uh, to give a perspective, you know, Dave, maybe leaning more towards the uh, oil seed side and, and Ed, maybe uh, towards the, the macro and and, um, uh, and energy side, uh, just to kind of so that everybody understands what's kind of going on and why that affected the, uh, the ag industry today. Yeah, I think, um, you know, in a nutshell, there was a Supreme Court decision today that um, essentially allowed smaller uh, blenders and smaller refiners to um, basically not have to blend as much biofuel as the mandates would have suggested and and or by uh, these RINs, these replacement um, uh, sort of credits that they could get from other producers to account for it. Um, in a nutshell, just what that means is that the sort of mandated demand for biofuel has declined. Um, what I find a bit of a challenge right now and i think what the market's job is is to determine you know how much demand does that represent because there has been an extreme amount of strength in veg oils as an example uh because of uh, bio biodiesel and renewable diesel demand <clears throat> biden administration has been otherwise pretty friendly towards this uh, so some of these new crush plants even that we've seen announced in canada and that that's to satisfy that that sort of demand and I don't think it's, you know, it's, I don't want to make it sound like it's gone away. Uh, that demand is still there and will will pr be produced. But for some of these smaller refiners, um, they won't have to blend or purchase these credits. And so as a result, it's just now determining, well, how much do we take off the S&D uh, for, for the demand factors for those off the, say, corn or the soybeans for, for veg oil consumption? And that's going to be the challenge is to determine, you know, how many bushels of, of beans or corn does that actually represent and add that back onto the carryout. Both of those are in very tight situations. Um, and I, I think there again, it's probably not really a, an immediate uh, bonk situation, but it is more something in the longer term. If we don't have that, and there's no appeals to the Supreme Court, so it obviously is is coming. Then we have to figure uh, a slightly lower number for demand on those than we would have had. And that's why you saw this sudden change in the overnights. You know, the markets were fairly firm based on the weather and everything. And then just around 8:30 Central Time, as this announcement came out, everything just turned around and uh, went for a dive. And, you know, again, one of those reasons that we've been advocating for, you know, some better coverage on crops um, and especially using min price strategies, because <laughs> this kind of stuff is just so hard to ever predict or or to, uh, you know, really foresee coming. So sometimes it is uh, just another reason we like to have our insurance policies covered. So mm -hmm. they could have gone the other way, right? Like the Supreme sure. Court could have ruled in favor of the uh, of the uh, blending and, and then we could have seen an, uh, the exact opposite where we saw. Yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. 
So again, yeah, went to your point about heart being hard to predict. Um, mm -hmm. There's political and even legal uh, factors at play that uh, have nothing to do with weather or yield yeah. or anything like that. So, exactly. Uh, Ed, I noticed that the you know uh, crude crude oil's up again today uh, by almost a percentage and a percentage point. You know, uh, the front month crude is is, is nearing seventy four dollars uh, into the close today or into the end of the day. Do you think that uh, there is some bolstering uh, of the energy markets as a result of this ruling as well, or do you think that this is just kind of normal um, uh, trend trend demand for for crude? Well, there's definitely a underlying demand story that cuts through all the noise in the last little while in crude oil, and that's one of persistent lack of investment in production capacity since 2014, really since the price crashed from $100 back then. Uh, and and then uh, expectations of a massive increase in demand, the, the latent demand since COVID had artificially reduced demand for some time. So, so that's the narrative that's pushing energies. Today, though, you saw a fairly significant divergence in uh, especially heating oil and, uh, and crude oil. So we saw this uh, earlier uh, last week as well, or uh, two weeks ago, when the Biden administration first announced that it wanted to provide some relief or was hoping to provide some relief to refiners uh, over having to blend expensive veg oils. And the initial reaction is that uh, theoretically, if you don't have to blend in expensive veg oils into your uh, refined product mix, uh, theoretically, the price of your diesel or gasoline, in, in this case, mostly diesel, because it's biodiesel, uh, would be cheaper. So what you see is diesel fuel prices fall. And the other side is that if you're not blending biofuel, then you have to use more crude oil. So crude oil prices rise. And you saw that happen again today, where diesel fell very hard on the initial news. Crude oil fell a little bit and then bounced back very quickly. And, and that's basically what happened right after the the report now in a demand-led rally which is what's happening in especially refined products uh, sometimes it doesn't really matter whether your feedstocks prices change if the consumer demands it you're going to raise your prices regardless of whether or not the biodiesel is cheaper or you have to re you don't have to blend as much so there was pretty big rebound off the lows for diesel fuel and uh, crude oil has just continued higher uh, for most of the day so that's the dynamic that you're seeing right now and it provides uh, a lot of trading opportunities so there's all kinds of speculators in the energy markets right now pushing things around even more than they otherwise would and as a result you're seeing all kinds of volatility spill into currencies for instance the canadian dollar as a result of energies as well and into uh, grains which have some links to energy too so. uh dave I, I noticed that you know corn corn has taken the news today pretty hard as well we're down double digits and we're literally about seven minutes from the close as we're recording this today uh is this um you know coupled with I guess what I'm looking at is the the energy looks relatively bullish, but the biofuels look look bearish because of today's news, or at least it was a bearish input. Uh, is there something else playing into the corn market? Is there weather playing into the corn market, or what, what do you think is driving corn? Sir? Well, yeah, I think I think corn has been under a bit of pressure here for the last week or two because 
we're seeing some uh, rains hitting across in Iowa, as an example, was kind of a, a very focused uh, area of concern here coming out of some of this dryness and they've gotten some rains and then up in the sort of very western and northern regions of the corn belt as you get into the dakotas and such we've seen some rains in there and you know i don't think anybody's going to say that the drought's over but um you know many areas have gotten at least some kind of rain and hopefully bought some time i think that's where corn's run into a bit of resistance because it hasn't had that fresh sort of bullish input from the from the weather maps yet However, you know, that's a, a long way to go. I think we're we're just getting into July here shortly, which of course is for uh, corn is the key pollination period. A lot of that crop was planted a little bit early this year as well. <laughs> Pardon me. So, you know, we could see some some pollinating happening a little bit sooner and there's some hot weather coming. On, and uh, so I, I think there's going to be some concerns as well. So I don't think the weather story is over for corn yet by any means. Okay. That, that's good and bad, right? Again, you know, that can be bullish uh, if it stays hot and dry, if uh, rains outperform, uh, you know, you could see a lot more pressure coming because once again, you know, you've beaten the daylights out of the meal market uh, in the last couple of weeks and, uh, you know, other feed grains have softened a little bit as well. I think for corn, one thing I kind of watch is there's that recent low on the December contract uh, that we made down May 26th, right down around five bucks. Um, if it starts to break below that, we have what I consider a really massive double top on the charts, and it would point to a, a lot of downside potential at that stage. As long as we can hold above that, then, you know, there's actually potentially a little bit of uh, some buying that would kick in if we started to push back towards 540, 550. And that might give us another run back towards that $6 area. So lots of... Uh, Lots of volatility is very likely in corn, and but those are a couple of pivot points I'd watch for. Okay, there, there's a, a couple of things in the in the uh, you know maybe I'll continue with you, David. In the oilseed market, as far as uh, you know, we've seen a, a collapse in the last little while. We've seen a collapse of the uh, July November canola spread, and then mm -hmm. today today that really rebounded. And uh, you know, Ed, you and I were talking about this just before Dave jumped on this uh, on this call, but um, why do you think there's some vol so much volatility in that? Well, there's a couple of things at play. I think the important uh, situation to watch is the way that that spread has deteriorated. Like we were at 250 over at one point. Uh, you know, we're trading 50 over now, 54 over right as we speak. And it has improved a little bit today. But, you know, that trend of uh, the massive uh, spike to a much more sort of normal 50 over, I guess, would be uh, something closer to longer term kind of spreads we sometimes see old crop, new crop. Um, it indicates that the pipeline is still tight but that we're getting past that demand picture where the demand now that is out there is uh, likely covered or very close to covered. So that's why you see the weakening of that, that old crop, new crop spread. Um, today, there is last option day for July options. And so there's probably going to be some some action coming out of this. It's just that various people with puts or calls, uh, you know, trigger or don't, uh, and become futures positions to offset. So I think you're, you're going to see a little more choppiness around here just with option expiry. Um, the one thing about something like July, I mean, today so far it's traded 1,300 contracts and we're just, well, I guess the market is just 
closing. So, you know, that's nothing, right? If somebody needs to buy 50 or $100 all at once, um, it, it'll drive that market probably several dollars in one direction. And if somebody turns around and tries to sell a couple hundred tons right after that, it'll drop it again. Uh, you know, so it's harder to read because of that uh, thinly traded volatility. But that's why I like to watch the spread. To me, that's sort of more important is to, you know, if it continues to weaken, it just shows that that old crop demand picture is pretty much finished. Um, speaking of spreads, uh, Ed, I'll throw this over to you. Uh, we're, we're noticing a continued um, advancement of the Minneapolis premium over Kansas City, and it, it kind of reached that $2 a bushel area today in the futures, and, uh, you know, or at least when you're comparing the two September contracts. Uh, can you let us, uh, what, what does that mean? And, and what specifically, what does that mean for Canadian farmers? Uh, so, I mean, you have a, a really interesting dichotomy between global wheat supplies and North American wheat supplies, specifically spring wheat. And there is an element of spring wheat that is inelastic protein demand. And most wheats in the world are somewhere around, you know, nine to 11% protein. And that's your standard milling wheat. It goes into your all purpose flour. But uh, there is demand for high protein wheat, specifically for the, the higher end baked goods. You know, you can't really bake a nice French bread without having some high protein hard red spring blended in there to give you that gluten strength. And so that's that's really inelastic demand. And uh, there's not a bottomless. In fact, there's there's not much premium at all. If there's lots of high protein wheat uh, available in the world, you won't see uh, any premium at all for protein. Um or sometimes can, uh, Minneapolis wheat traded at a discount uh, to lower protein values this year. Now that there is a acute supply threat to specifically North Dakota wheat, um, you've seen that spread, and and that really is relative protein values uh, rise. And now that the weather forecast has started to turn hot and dry for Canada as well, I think the market's um, adding even some Canadian weather premium into the spring wheat market. And as a result, we've seen the nearby spread go to $2.25 premium of Minneapolis wheat over Kansas wheat. In other words, that's the premium for 13.5% protein over 11% protein wheat. Um, I'll remind everybody that in 2017, that spread reached a high of about $2.50. So we are knocking on the door of uh, the 2017 protein spread highs. And if you recall... During that time, cash protein values went to a high of about eight cents per tenth. In other words, if you hauled a 13% protein wheat, um, and then the next load was a 13.1% protein wheat, it was an extra eight cents, or 80 cents from a 13 to a 14% protein. And I think that's what Canadian farmers are probably going to see this year as protein spreads become quite wide. And also discounts for low protein become quite wide too because there's going to be lots of low protein wheat available as uh, we see the Kansas wheat crop coming off in fairly good shape uh, with excellent yields. So uh, I think that's what Canadian farmers will see, where they'll see the most variability in the wheat bids. And then on top of that too, we've got this drought story that's elevated just the flat bid uh, uh, from a futures perspective as well. So. We often get a lot of questions about how to hedge risk in this environment, and uh, I think you, you touched on it there about wide wide spreads for low protein 
So it's one of those years where uh, if you if you generally grow low protein uh, and there are advantageous cash values available, even with the discounts right now, it's probably a good idea to hedge those, those discounts if you can. Yes, I agree. I think that one way that uh, grain companies often try to uh, entice farmers to making sales is to offer a 113.5 or a high protein uh, value with a very high price tag. And I mean, that works, right? If you if you grow with a high protein um, in years where you grow uh, lower protein, that can be very dis the discounts can be quite jarring. And so uh, I think to strike you want to strike a balance um we've found over the years that uh i think on over 30 years of history shows that canadian farmers tend to grow to uh 13 protein that's the average value so if you're not sure what you're going to grow i think that's a good um a good value to lock in as a 213. all right um maybe i'll move a little bit here into uh some of the stuff happening next week so um, so everybody's aware there's a, a Canadian acreage report out on the 29th of, uh, uh, which is what, is that Tuesday next week? I think that's Tuesday next week. Isn't it the 30th? No. Uh, the Canadian is on the 29th. Well, the, yeah, you're right. The, the U.S. And then there's a couple of reports from the U.S. out on the 30th, which is, uh, of course, their acreage number uh, and also quarterly stocks information from the USDA. So uh, we did put out a, um, a market update today uh, talking about uh, what we expected from Stats Canada or what the market expects from Stats Canada. Uh, so we just thought I'd throw that open to you two guys as well as so if you have any comments to add to the report uh, that we sent out earlier today. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's going to be curious to watch uh, some of the acreage numbers on both sides of the border. Uh, Brian, you know, you mentioned on the average trade guess for canola up here in Canada is 22 and a half. I actually was a little bit surprised to see that. Uh, I thought the market was thinking something a bit lower. Uh, so it sh shows you what I know. Uh, but I, I think, again, you know, something like that with average to possibly above average yields would still be a pretty good supply bump from what we've seen in the past year. Uh, also, there is some uh, question about, you know, long-term demand on some of this stuff as well, but we'll save that for a different day. But uh, I do think that it points to a situation where likely our canola stockpile is going to be rising going into 21-22 and uh, a little bit less of the tightness that we've seen. On the U.S. side, it's going to be very interesting as well because um, I think both corn and bean acreage was lower than expected in March intentions that came out from the USDA. And so, um, you know, there's an expectation that corn's going to go up at least, uh, you know, a couple million acres and beans maybe a million. Um, you know, lots of ranges of guesses flying around on that as well. But I think that's going to be something that uh, could shock the market if we don't get the the kind of numbers that everybody's thinking. So something to watch. Yeah, I'm just pulling it up here. It looks like uh, the poll that I can see in Reuters here has uh, corn at 93.8 mm -hmm. and soy at 89. And so... Uh, yeah, I think beans were, what, 87 or 87 and a half in March? Something like that. Yeah, that could be uh, 2020, March 31st. Uh, so yeah, corn was 91.1, and so that's increasing to 93.8. Beans were 87.6 in the March, 88.9. So yeah, some uh, some relatively large increases there. Uh, on the flip side, on the wheat side, it looks like they're looking for a decline in acreage uh, that's likely to come. Mm -hmm. 
you know, from from spring week side. So, uh, so that's that's what's expected next week. I'd like to add too that um, one surprise that happened in 1988 was that abandonment acres uh, were quite high for spring wheat, and that was that the the crop was just so bad that they they didn't harvest it and they abandoned it, dissed it under, did whatever they did, cut it for silage. Um, that I think could be it could be a red flag or, or something to watch anyway going into this uh, acreage report is what the USDA thinks the abandonment acres would be uh, this year because that can have a great deal of effect on the ending stocks because the yield isn't 10 or, or 15 bushels, it's zero. Uh, so that, ha- that can really drag the average down. One thing that might be there, and that's a really uh, valid point. I'm just not sure. I don't think they actually survey for that at this point. So uh, this will be the survey question will be planted, and they may make some assumptions uh, uh, in the next S and D's on abandonment. But that uh, that could be a wild card, maybe even further down the road. I I don't know how hard the USDA will try to guess at that at this point, unless that they've already been seeing a lot of absolute results of you know sometimes they you know, bail it as green feed or whatever else, right? So uh, that that uh, is something that I think we will have to keep an eye on for sure. Sometimes what they do too is they'll they'll lower their yield estimate based on abandonment, and then and then recalculate when they know the abandonment. So they they may p- publish a lower yield on spring wheat, and then uh, when the abandonment acres come in, they'll adjust. Like so, their their net number may remain more stable. Um, but they'll take it, they'll add it back into yield and take it out of uh, of harvested acres. So there's uh, the USDA does some, some it, like that. It's, it's always a challenge as a guy that's always been trying to calculate acres and yields for years. You know, when you get into a problem field and right in the area where I am, uh, we've had some wetness in the spring and such, so some uneven germination. And there's, you know, where the potholes are, you see a lot of uh, basically no no crop. And as I drive down the road, I always think, so how do I calculate that? Because every farmer may answer this differently on on surveys, but is that an abandoned acre uh, combined on, on on that field? Does he sort of calculate, okay, I only actually got X percent of those acres actually off, or is that just a, a lower average yield across the field? Um, you know, how do you factor that in? And it's always a bit of a challenge as to how you play with that production. All right. Well, I think that uh, pretty much wraps up what we uh, had to talk about today. Um, we, we did see the the market close as we were as we were talking through this, and uh, you know most of the, the markets closed near their lows of the day after the after the after the news from this morning. Again, with the exception of, of spring wheat, um, which uh, was one of the only major ag commodities uh, that, that finished in the green, uh, and even. Um, also finished uh, near the, the mid to upper range of, of its trading range for the day. So, um, so yeah, a little bit a little bit lower of a day, but um, uh, no major uh, technical signals broken as of today's trade. So I think so let's see what happens on Monday. Actually, I wanted to just ask uh, your comments for your comments there, Dave, on the divergence we saw today, like initial sell-off, hard sell-off in canola with response to the soybean oil fall um but then like spring wheat as well too um both of those commodities rallying back um what are your thoughts there 
Yeah, again, I think it's a bit of a thinly traded situation, although there, the volume has picked up in canola a little bit. Uh, in the last couple of days, I believe that we've seen some business done. Uh, as the market did come off in canola, I think that there's been some export business, maybe some crush business book. And and uh, because the selling isn't huge, it's, I think it allowed us to stay a lot firmer than you might have guessed looking at you know oil touching limit down at one point uh, and beans breaking 30 and 40 cents. So the the bad news there, though, is that it's destroying crush margins again. Uh, you know, I kind of the way I calculate crushes easily lost about 30 bucks today uh, in values because especially the weakness in that veg oil. So, you know, it's rationing some demand even without really going up, I mean, but uh, just the fact that it didn't fall as much. So it's kind of a mixed blessing. I, I think it's because we're still covering some business. Um, the, the, the scary part will be is that once we get that business covered as an industry, um, if the other side of the soy complex hasn't picked back up again, that may be some harsh reality. So, you know, once again, unknown things like Supreme Court decisions and, um, this kind of market action, it's a really good min price strategy or averaging strategy sort of uh, market environment, I, I think. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for joining uh, joining today. And um, we'll, we'll see you again next week when I'm sure we'll, we're in for another volatile week with all these reports coming up. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, to it. I don't think I'll be able to sleep all weekend. <laughs> or at night all week. <laughs> <laughs> uh.